when I was a kid, I loved getting Christmas ads in the mail. We'd get the Fleet Farm ad. I know there's Farm and Fleet here in town. We had Fleet Farm in Wisconsin. I don't know what the deal is there. But Fleet Farm, we'd always get the Christmas, the Toyland ad, which was always super exciting. And we'd always get, uh, like, you know, Target and the JCPenney catalog. you get the Christmas ad for Kmart, little flyer thing. And I'd always take it, and I'd cut out all the toys that I liked, and then I would plaster them on this one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And by the end of it, the whole thing, there's no white left. It was just all the toys that I wanted, um, and it weighed about five pounds because of all the tape I had on there. And my mom still actually sends me, when it comes in the mail, she's like, look what came in the mail, the Fleet Farm Toyland ad. So I have a picture on my phone because it came, I don't know, they come in like August now, like get ready for Christmas, you know. So my mom still sends that to me. But when we get older, I was looking through that saying, these are the things I want, so I'm going to put them on this list. And I looked through this catalog to get it. And when we get older, we can do the same thing. We can look through catalogs or we can look at websites and be like, yeah, those are the things I want. We kind of put them in our mind. Um, but we can also look at people's lives kind of as a catalog too. We look at somebody else's life and we're like, man, I want those things that they have. And it could be that I want a house like them or a car like them or clothes like them or um, maybe I want a job or position like they have. Um, but it's not just physical things like that. We can want people's popularity or the respect other people give them, or we can want um, the sort of body they have, or we can be a, want to be as good of an athlete as they are, and we can maybe want uh, the behavior that their kids have, or we may want the amount of free time and lack of stress that someone else has. We can scroll through someone's Facebook or their Instagram feed and say, oh, I wish I had their life. I wish I had those things that they are showing they have. We, and we can want anything that someone else has that we don't. And sometimes when we look at what someone else has, we might say, well, you know, they don't really deserve that. And that makes us even more mad. So like, they have it, I don't, I want it, and they don't even deserve it. It would be better in my hands. I'm more deserving of that thing that they have. And so it's not that we only have jealousy, but we might be even angry um, at the unfairness of it. And so have you ever wanted what someone else has? And when you've looked at someone else's life, um, have you wished that their life was your life. And so we're just going to take a little bit of time to think about those questions. What feelings did you have towards that person when you wanted what they have? Whether you thought they deserved it or not, you could go either way. What feelings did you have towards them? Envy. Envy? It's over here. Yeah, envy. Any other feelings you have towards them? Does it have to be a sense of admiration? You see somebody that has everything admiration? and you admire them? Can it be like a thought you have instead of a... Sure. Yeah, it could be a thought, yeah. Sure. Feeling or thought. Like you feels unfair that they have it and you don't. <coughs> Regret. Regret? Oh, what's, where does that one come up? Can you see if I've done something differently? Okay, well, I could be them, but I messed up, or yeah. so I regret. Okay. Any other feelings or thoughts? Or even actions? Things that you do in response? You have grief. Grief? Yeah, you can be sad. Grief, sad. So you're like, man, they have something that I am unable to have, and we get sad about that. You could sin. It's an action. You could sin, so we could react sinfully. What kind of 
what kind of actions would be sinful? If you see somebody has something you want, what kind of actions would be sinful? Anger. Anger. Could be sinful. Could, could be good. You know, if you're like angry that somebody evil has all these good things, like that can kind of feel angry. But you could also have wrongful anger too. Steal it from them. Don't steal. <laughs> yeah. Or even just wishing that they'd be taken from them, right? Wishing, yeah, wishing, wishing harm on them. them. Yeah. Be ungrateful. What you have. Ungrateful. Yeah, for what we do have. You can also be prideful, thinking that you deserve it. Prideful. Yeah, we could go on. Um, hmm? Murder. Could murder. It's true. You can look at Cain and Abel. Um, the slander, maybe? You could talk poorly about that person. Yeah, I, that's something I found I fell into. Like, when I see somebody is respected in a way that I like to be respected, my go to is, oh, well, so other people need to ex- respect them a little less, so I won't, you know, talk nice about them to other people. So, yeah, let's leave those up there. Would you say that these are the same things? This, this is what we might feel or do or think. Um, to other people, would they be the similar things that you would feel or do towards God at the same time? Or would you, is there anything else you would add to this? If God had something that we didn't No, uh, so God's, you're, you know that God has given that to them. And so oh. you're like, they have something I want, and what are our feelings towards God when it's like, I want that thing, why aren't you giving it to me? I mean, we'd have some of the similar things, anger, um, be ungrateful. We already talked about that. We maybe tell them it's unfair. God, is there any other things we would add? And if you can't think of any, we might just keep that in the back of our minds. Fear. Fear. What, what, did, I, what did I do wrong? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Because God made mad at me. So fear could be one. I'll keep feeling kind of like, um, what did I do to deserve this, you know? So, what are the, so would that be, <coughs> you're not asking it as like, hey, what did I do to deserve this? It's like, what did I do to deserve this? That's so yeah, like anger or like, uh, contempt yeah, or whatever, but. anger. Almost, it's almost like a, a little judgmental or judging God like, like you're doing something wrong or, or condemning him. I don't know what to say. I'll just put, leave anger there. So maybe fear and anger. Mistrust. Not trust him? Like, yeah. You're the one delegating out these resources, God. Seems like you kind of came to the wrong person. Why should I trust you? Maybe a lot of those together represent a lack of faith or a weakening of my faith. Yeah, a lack of faith might doubt. Or you might your faith might weaken you. Know, you said yeah, doubt reaction. Yeah, let's leave it there. And continues, because we think of this beginning the Journey Home series that we're doing in the book of Genesis. And last week we were introduced to these new characters that are on the stage for this new act in the story. And we saw how the promises and blessings of God that Abraham received were passed down to Abraham's son now, Isaac. And then at the same time last week we met Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau. And they're twins, but Esau is considered the oldest because he came out of the womb first. And as the firstborn, that means... He's going to be the future head of the family when Isaac dies. He's going to take over. He's going to get a double portion of the inheritance. Everyone else is going to get a single portion. And 
he's the one who's supposed to be in this position. But after they had grown up at some point, Esau um, sold his birthright as the firstborn over to Jacob, his brother. And this week we're going to see more of Jacob and Esau. They're really the focus of this part of the book of Genesis, and Jacob even more so. And last week we focused on how God's blessings um, came to Isaac and to us. And the answer is, well, how do God's blessings come to Isaac and to us? And it was by grace and by promise and by someone else's obedience. And this week, we're again going to focus on the same question in Genesis chapter 27, because it's about how God's blessings come to Jacob. And at the same time, we can consider, well, how do God's blessings come to us? And so the big question this passage answers is, how do God's blessings come to us? How do God's blessings come to us? How do God's blessings come to us? And we already read the first part of the story. So let me recap as we consider that question. How did God's blessings come to us? It's quite some time has passed since Esau sold his birthright uh, to Jacob, and now Isaac s- says, well, I'm, I'm old now, um, and so I need to start taking care of things, because uh, I'm about to die. He lives a lot longer. I don't know if he thinks, he's, I don't know if he's like, just, you know, I'm 50 years off, so better start taking care of things. But he's like, I'm old, i got to start doing things. And he wants to pass God's blessing down to his oldest son, uh, Esau. And so he calls him in, asks him, hey, I want you to go hunt some game like you do. I want you to make some of that food that I like. And when you come back, I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to give my blessing over to you. You're going to now be the one who's getting entrusted with God's blessing. And so Esau heads out, but listening in on this conversation is Rebecca, Isaac's wife. And Esau is Isaac's favorite. But Jacob is Rebekah's favor. And so she tells Jacob, you go grab two young goats from the herd, bring them here. I'm going to cook food, and I'm going to bring them in, and you're going to bring them in to your dad. You're going to pretend to be Esau so you can get the blessing from him. And so we may wonder, well, oh, well how is Jacob going to respond to this, to this plan, to this plan uh, to cheat his brother and trick his dad? Well, Jacob protests. But it's not because he thinks it's wrong. It's because he's afraid of getting caught. He's like, well, but mom, you know, Jacob is kind of a hairy man. I don't have much hair. And so immediately, dad's, what if he touches me? He's going to find out that I'm not Esau. And so his mother says, well, let the curse be on me if that happens. He's like, I don't want to get a curse instead of a blessing. She's like, let it be on me. But then she also dresses him in Esau's clothes um, and then puts these like goat furs on his arm so that, I mean, Esau must have been a crazy hairy guy, but uh, so puts these goat furs on him and is like, that'll, that'll do it, that'll trick your dad. And so they prepare the food, Jacob goes into his father's tent and the conversation is just painful to hear. Jacob greets his father and in this blindness, Isaac asks who it is. He can recognize it's one of his sons. He's like, who is it? And he's, Jacob says, I am Esau. Your firstborn, he totally lies. And Isaac, he's surprised. And he says, well, how did you hunt the game so quickly, my son? How did you, how are you able to go out there and kill something and bring it back and cook it already? And Jacob's explanation is, well, because the Lord your God granted me success. So Jacob lies about who he is. And then he uses God to cover up for his lie. And for Jacob, God isn't someone to love, trust, and obey. His name is something to be used for his own schemes and purposes. And Isaac is still perplexed. The man in his tent is saying that he's Esau, but the voice is Jacob's. And so he calls him close and touches him, and he feels the hairy goat skin, and he's still hesitant. He says, are you really my son, Esau? Calls him by name. Jacob answers, I am. And so Isaac ate the food, then called Jacob close to kiss him and to give him the blessing. And as he brings him close, he smells the scent of Esau 
on Esau's clothes that Jacob is wearing. And so then Isaac finally believes the lie, and so he blesses Jacob. And that's the story thus far. And as painful and heartbreaking as that conversation is, the next conversation, verses 30 through 40, are equally heartbreaking. So chapters 27, verses 30 through 40, we'll read them all through. It says this, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he's taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for service, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke. From your neck. Isaac trembles at hearing that he has been deceived and he's blessed the wrong person. And then Esau, he's crushed and he weeps and he says, Jacob is living up to his name. Jacob means one who grasps at the heel because he was holding his brother's heel when they came out of the womb. Or it can mean he cheats. And so he's like, look, my brother, he's grasping on my heel and he's pulling me down. He's cheating me and tricking me. He took away my birthright and now he's taken away my <coughs> blessing. And so how do you think the relationship between Esau and Jacob is going to be from here on out? Look at verse 41, we're told. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while, until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Once again, Rebecca is listening in or is told what's about to happen. She comes up with a plan before she devised a way to steal the blessing. Now she devises a way to protect Jacob by sending him off to his uncle. But she needs to convince Isaac, and so she's going to bring up Esau's wives. Uh, at the end of verse 26, we heard that Esau married um, two Hittites who were Canaanite women living in the land, local women. Uh, but if you remember, Abraham, when he wanted to get a wife for Isaac, was very concerned. He's like, he must not take a wife from here. You must go back to my people. And so Rebecca's scheming once again. She's like, okay, we're both unhappy about this situation. Let me use this common ground 
uh, to get Isaac to agree to this plan um, to, to send Jacob away so he'll be safe. So verse 46 tells us, Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be? And then continuing into chapter 28, verse 1, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's, and Esau's mother. Now Isaac saw that now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram and to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. And so when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath and the daughter, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. And so Esau, he's left home, trying to gain his father's approval by who, whom he marries. Ishmael, you remember, is Isaac's brother. Uh, and so Ishmael is part of the family. And so Esau's like, oh, mom and dad don't like me marrying these women who aren't part of the family. I'm going to go marry someone who is. And Jacob uh, is sent away. And Jacob wanted what Esau had. And think back to what we were talking about at the beginning. And you can see some of these things um, that were happening in, for, for Jacob and what he was desiring. Esau was the firstborn, so he was going to get this double portion of the inheritance. Plus he was going to get the blessings of God on his life. God's plan that he has for this whole family were going to be followed down through Esau. And Jacob doesn't seem very interested in God but only the goodies that God can give his family. And he's looking through the catalog around him. He sees what his father has and he wants it. He sees what Esau is going to have and he wants it. And at the same time, his mom is pressuring him to go after it because she wants him to have it. And so there's all this jealousy and envy in him. And so you know, think to yourself, have you ever been in a situation where someone was pressuring you to get something you want the wrong way? Like how Rebecca was pressuring Jacob. Have you ever been in a situation where you saw what someone else had and wanted it? And we're just going to take a moment, because we talked about all the things that we feel towards those people and maybe things we feel towards God, um, and just think what these are, we call these the four G's, uh, which are four attributes of God um, that kind of do a really good job of summing up, like if you would memorize all these, you have a really good idea of who God is, and they can help you um, to believe the truth about him. And so, uh, which of these would have helped Jacob in the situation where he's being pressured to get something the wrong way and where he wants what somebody else has? Or which of these would help you in a situation where you're wanting what somebody else has or you're feeling pressure from the outside? God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for my satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't need that stuff. I've got God. Yeah. God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jacob, I don't know what, what is in his head. I'm proving myself that I'm the most crafty or creative or something to, to get this, but yeah. God is glorious. 
I should care more what he thinks about what the right thing to do is than someone else. Yeah, this person pressuring you to do the wrong thing. Yeah. God is great. I don't have to scheme to get what I want. Mm -hmm. He's in control. Do your <coughs> schemes even like thwart his control, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know we hit all of them, but is there any other angles people were thinking that would fit if you were jealous of somebody or if you're being pressured? Not that's all right. The big question this passage answers is, how do God's blessings come to us? And the answer is one word, grace. God's blessings always come to us by grace. And when... Gospel fluency groups meet. The first question we always ask is, what's the main topic of this passage? What is this passage all about? And when Nick and I were meeting to talk about this passage, he just came and he said, I just feel like this passage is all about grace. He gave one word, and I was like, well, that really hit me. So I was like, yeah, that's true. It's just all about grace. That's the best way to understand this passage. Grace means uh, getting something you don't deserve. And we look at Jacob, and we just come out of him and we're like, we don't even really like this guy. Like, that's not the guy you're rooting for in this story, or at least I hope not. He cheats his brother, he tricks his dad and lies to his dad, and then he uses God to make his lie more believable. And by the end of it, we might even hope Esau gets revenge, you know? we just kind of like, man, Jacob should get is what is coming to him. And yet, what happens? He walks away with the keys to the family inheritance and the blessings of God from Isaac spoken over his life. And so what's the deal? The worst guy gets to have his way? Shouldn't bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people? And Jacob is a jerk, and maybe you've known people like this too. It's like somebody who just is not a kind person, is always doing the wrong thing, and yet it seems like things just keep going their way. They get the money, they get the girls, or they get the job, or they get the house, or they get the car, or they get the whatever it is, and you're like, why are they getting all of this stuff. Jacob doesn't deserve the promises of God. He doesn't deserve the blessing of Abraham. He doesn't deserve to receive the promised land. He doesn't deserve to have God in his life. And so why does he? The answer is grace. It might look like he gets it because of his schemes, but no one pulls a fast one on God. What Jacob does in this story is not how all this stuff comes to him, because God is always in control. We saw that. God chose to bless Abraham out of all the peoples of the earth so Abraham can be a blessing. God chose Isaac instead of Ishmael to bless him so he could be a blessing. And God chose to bless Jacob instead of Esau so that he can be a blessing. So even if it looks like God or like Jacob gets God's blessings by his schemes, the truth is that it's by God's grace. It's by God's choice. If something comes by grace, that means God isn't obligated to give it. It means he gives it by his choice because we don't deserve it. There's nothing we do to merit it or earn it, and so it must be by his choice. And the same is true for each of us because don't we try to earn God's favor by our own schemes? And don't we try to get God's blessings by our own efforts and plans? Like, if I really do, you know, if I go to church enough, read my Bible enough, pray enough, like, it's because I'm not doing those things that I'm not getting what I want from God or I'm not having the life like that other person has it. And then we see a person like Jacob, and we're like, well, that kind of throws it all to the water because that guy's 
not having his daily quiet time in the Bible. That guy's not praying. Now that guy's not going to worship service every week. And it's like, why is he getting all this stuff? And so even if, if we think it's by our schemes that God's blessings come into our life, it's by God's choice and it's by God's grace. So here's a truth we need to remember. Know that you are worse than you know. And grace is better than you can imagine. You are worse than you know. And grace is better than you can imagine. You're worse than you know, and grace is better than you can imagine. We're all Jacob. We are all in need of God's grace. And if you look at Jacob and think, well, I've never done anything that horrible. Of course I'm not like Jacob. Well, you can thank God's grace for that too, because he's allowed you to not have let sin have that sort of tentacle hold on your life and does anyone uh, a lot of you have been here since the beginning of the book of Genesis does anyone remember the basic lie that the serpent got Adam and Eve to believe I'll start the sentence sin isn't that bad and God isn't that good or great you can put any of those in there that great good in that specific passage of Genesis 3 good it seems to be what he's really after but Sin isn't that bad, and God isn't that good. And that's the same lie we're tempted to believe. We're tempted to believe that, you know, my sin isn't really that bad. I'm kind of deserving of the things that God gives me. I'm deserving of his blessings. I'm deserving of salvation, of forgiveness, of, um, of life, the things that he gives to me. And we think that our lack of love for others and our lack of love for God, just, yeah, it's just not really a big deal. And with that, then we believe, well, God isn't really that good. Grace isn't that amazing because, after all, we're not that bad. So it isn't like God is giving us something we don't deserve. We've earned it. My sin isn't that bad. He should be giving these things to me. Grace means that you don't deserve it. It means undeserved and unearned favor. And the truth is, is that we are less deserving than we think or care to admit. And we're far more blessed than we even realize. And each and every one of us is far less deserving than we think and more blessed than we realize. And we can make a list of all the good things in our life, and we would miss a ton of it, and we wouldn't deserve a single thing on the entire list. And so here's a, it's got these two principles for us. Um, maybe it's too long of a sentence, but maybe you'll remember it. But if you have a small view of your sin, you'll never have a big view of God's grace. If you have a small view of your sin, you will never have a big view of God's grace. If you have a small view of your sin, you'll never have a big view of God's grace. Why? Because if you have a small view of your sin, you'll think that you deserve God's blessings. You'll think that you've earned them. You'll think that you deserve life. You deserve salvation. You deserve forgiveness. You deserve to live on this planet. You deserve to enjoy all the good gifts of God's creation. You deserve all the spiritual blessings he gives us in Christ, you think you are entitled to it. So a similar sentence, if you have a small view of your sin, you can just write God at the bottom. And if you have a small view of your sin, you'll have a small view of God. You'll not only have a small view of God's grace, you'll have a small view of God. Because if you don't think sin is that bad, you will never believe that the God of the Bible is good. Because you will read through the Bible a lot of people do this because they don't think sin is that bad. They read through the Bible and they're like, God really overreacts when he reacts to sin, when he responds to sin. God's really overreacting. Why is he so angry? Why is he so mean? Why is he 
sentencing people to death? Why is he doing such harsh and drastic reactions to just these little things people are doing? He's just a little lie. You just tricked his dad. What's the big deal, God? Don't, don't freak out about this. He's making a big deal about nothing. And so if we have a small view of our sin, we will never, ever, ever believe the God of the Bible is good because we'll be like, man, he overreacts a lot and gives people punishment they do not deserve. But it's freeing to realize that God's blessings to us, whether physical or spiritual, flow to us because of his grace and not because of our goodness. We don't have to scheme our way like Jacob. And maybe you felt like Jacob. I mean, do you feel like Jacob doing everything you can to get God's blessing? I read this story. It's kind of stressful. I don't know why I keep looking over there like it's up there. But I read this story, and it's like stressful to look at Jacob. He's like, okay, am I going to get caught? Am I, you know, every single word, you're like, okay, is he going to get caught? Is I is it going to figure it out? And then afterwards, you're like, okay, now this family is all in turmoil. Um, husband and wife are... Uh, well, it's hard to tell if Isaac is aware of what Rebecca has done, but there's this separation. At least Rebecca, there's a separation on her part. Um, Jacob and Esau, and now between Isaac and Jacob, it's like this family is in turmoil. And then he has to leave because his brother's going to kill him. And he has to travel way off to his uncle's house. And it's like this story is just stressful. It's not um, fun and restful to read. So we can feel like Jacob doing everything we can to get God's favor, to get God's approval, to get. God's forgiveness and acceptance, and it just feels exhausting. You know, if you were to write the story of your last week or the story of your life, would it feel exhausting like this story? Um, it feels stressful for somebody to read like the story of Jacob. And God may bless us in response to our obedience, and in fact, He says He will. But it's still grace because He has every reason not to bless us for all the times we disobey Him and fail to do what He says. Whenever we start looking at ourselves to find our standing with God, we're looking away from grace. We've turned away from it. We can either make our life a testimony of how amazing God's grace is for us, or we can make it a testimony of how amazing we think we are. And the truth is, you won't fully enjoy the blessings of, that God has given you unless you're able to admit that you don't deserve them. Because how much is Jacob really enjoying what he got? doesn't seem like a whole lot of enjoyment in this. The brother's going to kill him and he has to get sent away. And he was scared that he's, I'm going to be discovered as a fraud. And then he's sent away from his family's wealth anyway, even though that's the thing he was scheming to get. And so how do we grow in our awareness of how bad we are so that we can increase our enjoyment of grace? Notice enjoyment. This doesn't, you know, when we talk about how bad we are, it's not meant to be like, oh, you know, really got pounded down today and I left you know, church worship service feeling horrible. No, we need to recognize how bad we are so we can realize how blessed we are and enjoy God's grace. And we need to res if we're going to increase our enjoyment of grace, we need to respond to our sin rightly. And there's two wrong attitudes to, to respond to our sin. One is superiority and one is insecurity. Superiority and insecurity are two wrong ways to respond to sin. In situations where we sinned against someone else, superiority says, well, you're the worst sinner in this situation. We compare ourselves to them. We take this superior you know, place and we kind of look down and be like, obviously your sin is worse than mine. Um, I'm superior to you. Uh, and so I don't really have anything I have to do wrong. And we always judge other people's sin as more severe than our own, 
even if in that situation we did the exact same things as the, as the other person. Um, this is a big growth area for mine because I, it was interesting this week I was reminded of the Apostle Paul, who's uh, almost, I don't know if terrorist would be the right word, but he's going after the church and <coughs> terrorizing them, pulling people out of the houses and stoning them. He's a murderer um, of God's people. And yet he says in 1 Timothy to one of his, Timothy whom he's mentoring, he says, you know why God saved me? So I can be an example of God's perfect patience. So that anybody who says, God could never save me, could never forgive me. Paul says, if he could save me, he can save you. That's how bad, look how bad I was. And Paul gets really comfortable with being like, this is how horrible I was. And so you can tell in his letters how much he is enjoying God's grace. And so it's, so, so Katie and I were, when we get in um, arguments or conflict, it's really easy for me to be like, you've done the worst thing. And I found it helpful this week. Paul says, you know, this trust, this worthy saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. He's saying, I, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And so when we were having a conflict this week, I didn't tell this to Katie, I was saying to myself, I was remembering those words, and I'm like, I'm the worst sinner in this situation. And that really helped me to then apologize, because it's so easy to view the other person as the worst sinner. And so do I believe I'm the worst sinner and Christ Jesus came into the world to save me? And in every situation, I mean, there's situations where we're not the worst sinner, but there's so many, but it's, wouldn't it be easy, better to default on saying, well, I am the worst sinner and I need God's grace and I'm going to apologize to you and give you grace um, rather than the opposite of taking a superior, superiority stance. And the second wrong attitude towards our sin is insecurity. Because insecurity says, I'm crushed by my sin. In situations where we've sinned against someone else and we find out we're just crushed by it. We're so afraid of our sin being found out um, because if and we do everything we can to keep it hidden, if we had to admit sin to someone else, we would just be crushed by it. And so what does superiority uh, and insecurity look like in action? Well, they look very similar because when we feel superior or insecure, we do these things. We blame others. We justify our actions. We get defensive. We hide and cover up. We accuse the other person. So let me say those again. Are those things you're doing? Blaming. I do these all the time. Blame. Justify. Get defensive. Hide and cover up. Accuse the other person rather than owning what we've done. So what's the right attitude? The right attitude is gratitude. I didn't, I didn't mean it to sound like cutesy. <laughs> Therefore, my, I change it to the right attitude is humble gratitude. There we go. Does it sound so cutesy now? So humble gratitude. And what humble gratitude says is, I'm the worst sinner saved by grace. I'm the worst sinner saved by grace. So what, is it, what does it look like? We're going to say it looks like three things. Guilt, grief, and gratitude. Guilt, grief, and gratitude. Guilt, grief, and gratitude. Guilt for what we've done, I've done wrong. This was wrong. Grief for how it hurt the other person. Like you ever found yourself where you just are kind of cold? Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And you don't really care that it hurt the other person, so it's grief 
first it's guilt for what we've done, grief for how it hurt the other person, and then grateful for grace. See those four G's there? Guilt for what we've done, grief for how it hurt, grateful for grace. Anyway, Jesus, he's paid it all. If you've trusted in Jesus, there's no sin that he has not paid for that you commit yesterday or today or tomorrow. If our response to sin doesn't, you know, if we feel superior or insecure, um, those are not what God says we should be seeing in our life. The fruit we should be seeing in our life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's possible I might have missed one, but if you're, the way you're responding to sin isn't producing the fruit of the Spirit, then something is wrong. If you don't feel joy, if you don't feel peace, you still feel like you're separated from God. If you're not getting gentler with people, you know, saying, I'm the worst sinner saved by grace, how gentle and patient would that make you with other people? So how does this help us enjoy grace? If you want to find out how much is in your bank account, one way would be to look at the balance, but if you couldn't find out the balance and all you knew were the deposits, you would take the deposits and you start adding them up to find out that's how much is in my bank account, that's how rich I am. And each deposit is going to show you it. When it comes to our spiritual bank accounts, we won't realize how much we have unless we add up all the deposits. We, you know, imagine you can't see the balance. All you know is the deposits. And the only way we know what's been deposited in there is when we're able to acknowledge our sin and say, you know, every time you sin and acknowledge it, Jesus covered that. You see this deposit statement. And it's like you need to see um, all of that and to see, well, Jesus has paid for all of this. And every time you're willing to admit that you sinned against somebody else or sinned against God, then that's like a little de- showing you a deposit on your bank statement so you can really know, man, this is how rich I am in Christ. This is how rich I am because of what God is giving me. And enjoying God's grace is essential to us living as a family because it enables us to be a family of mess-ups who know that everyone else is a mess up too. And so it makes us be willing, like, well, I don't need to hide it. Everyone knows I'm a mess up. God knows I'm a mess up. And should he's glorious. Shouldn't I be most afraid of him? And yet, I'm fully loved by him because of his grace. And so can't I let other people know that I've messed up and I'm imperfect and I don't have to be worried about it? We can be free to admit our sin and our weakness to others without being afraid. And we can say to somebody, oh, I'm messed up and so are you, but God's grace takes care of it and I love you anyway. Like That's what... Grace sounds like in a family. We won't have an attitude of superiority or insecurity, but of gratitude that Jesus has covered that sin that I committed against you and you committed against me. And enjoying God's grace is essential to us loving his servants because we'll be able to offer compassion and love and patience even to those who deserve none of our service. You know, isn't everybody undeserving of our service? You know, that's giving grace out to people. And enjoying God's grace is essential to us going as messengers because the best messengers come from a place of humble gratitude. And there is bad news in the Bible. That's the only way we understand the good news. You know, you don't understand the good news that you're cancer-free if you never knew you had cancer. Like, oh, cool, I didn't have cancer, so thanks for telling me I'm cancer-free. And it's like, no, you need to know you have cancer. And then it becomes good news. When you're going to die, there's this disease in my body, and then somebody says, good news, you've been cured of your cancer. That's when it's good news. And so how much different does the bad news that you're a sinner sound when it comes from a place of gratitude rather than a place of superiority or judgment because when we're telling people about Jesus we can't be in superior or insecure because we have to say 
I didn't do anything for this. This was all grace. And so who am I to judge you? I'm just telling you that you're in trouble and God has made a way out. And I'm so thankful that he has for me. When you look at Abraham's life, he's this mix of good and bad. And he does some bad things, but then he does some really good things too. And by the end of it, you could think, well, God blesses him. So maybe by the end, his good outweighed his bad. And that's why God blessed him. We know that's not the case um, because it comes by grace. But when we come to Jacob's life, we're going to see even more. There's hardly a bright spot. You can't get to the end of it and be like, yeah, his good outweighed his bad. It's just like, no, there's hardly anything here. And we get to see even more bad things in his life. And we get to see it even more up close and personal. Like there's no story like this um, for Abraham's life. And so it's just put all on display. Oh, these are the heroes of the faith. Cool. Oh, uh, okay. You can see why they needed to have faith in God um, and his grace and his promises because they couldn't put their faith in themselves. And both of these men show, men show us that our standing before God totally rests on grace, on his promises, on his choice. Um, we're totally relying on him for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the truth of grace that we are totally undeserving. So would you help us now to understand even more about what's been put in our bank account through the Lord's Supper, which shows us what Jesus has done. In your son's name we pray. Amen.